politics podcast from the Frederick News Post. My name is Jack Hogan, and I cover county and state politics for the News Post. In the coming days, we'll be publishing interviews with candidates for Frederick County Executive and Frederick County Council. They'll voters get to know more about some of the local names that will be on their ballots in November. Today's guest is Shelley Alloy, who is the Executive Director of the Marriage Resource Center of Frederick County and the Republican nominee in the race for the District 3 seat on the Frederick County Council. District 3 covers the western part of Frederick. Her opponent on the Democratic side is Council President M.C. Keegan Ayer, who since 2014 has represented Council District 3. Shelley, welcome to the newsroom, and, and thanks for joining me in the booth. Thanks for having me. So to start off, can you walk me through your decision to run for county council? Oh, absolutely, yeah. So over the last, I guess, year and a half, folks were calling me and, and asking me to run, and I said, nope. And they asked me again, and I said, nope. But what happened is, fast forward to this past March, I started really thinking about my life, about the things that I've loved and I came to the conclusion that one of the things that I loved the most was serving in elected office. And, you know, it wasn't just serving in elected office. It was that process of meeting people, of campaigning and knocking on doors, about hearing stories, family stories. Um, and I even found out that I loved those people who were really passionate, even like raising their voices and almost shouting. Maybe some of them really were shouting. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, being able to listen to that person, that individual, their heartbeat, their passion, and be able to take that negative energy and divert it to something good. For example, I'd ask, you know, have you thought about this? What about using that energy for? And, and find something good and just see the countenance change from anger and frustration to even joy. And I, I love that. I love that about people, and I love that about being in elected office. What do you feel is the most important issue in the county council race? There are so many. <laughs> um, one of them for me is, and, and I've been hearing this from people across the county, um, that's the taxes. You know, our budget grew from $536 million to nearly $800 million over the last eight years. And if, if you do the math, it, the population grew about 9%, and that is just a, a burdensome increase. People who move here from other places are saying, if I'd known what the property taxes were, I would never have come. And so, so that's one issue. Another issue is that people don't feel like they've been heard by the government. And, and this is a, across the board. Um, I've been with the agricultural community. They're brought to the table, for example, for the climate change conversation, but nothing they said was included. People on the west side of Frederick, which is, is District 3, part of District 3, have been saying the same thing over and over again. We're not being heard. And so that is, that's a tremendous issue. Government's there to serve the people. What would you say is your number one legislative priority if you were to head into a term on the council? Do you know, as, as far as that goes, that's going to come from the people. That that can't just come from me. But, you know, as I said, this idea of taxes, constant constant yield is really important with regard to taxes. So what, what do I mean by that? You know, my opponent will tell you, I haven't raised taxes. Well, that's just simply not true. Whenever we have the constant rate, which is what they voted for over the last year years, 
what's happened is the property tax actually increases and the state requires the government to advertise this is a tax increase when the rate stays the same. I would vote for the constant yield, which means the amount that people pay stays the same. That's very different. So that, that's one. And making that change uh, for the last fiscal, the last budget that the council approved in that fiscal year, lowering the property tax rate from a dollar six per hundred dollars of assessed value to the constant yield rate of a dollar two per hundred dollars of assessed value. It would have cost the county thirteen million in in revenue. What, what would you propose trimming from the budget or or drawing from to be able to? make up for the difference in revenue. Right. And, you know, this is this is part of that same circular conversation that folks are having. The other thing that's happened is w- when we changed from county commissioner form of government to charter government, people of this community were told it will not cost you anymore. Well, we've seen the skyrocketing prices, but we've also added 702 employees to the county payroll. Now, I'm just wondering how in the world when you increase the population by 9%, do you need a 35 or 36% increase in the number of people serving them? We'd need to look at that. Duplication of services, redundancies, and, and those sort of things. Mm-hmm. So looking to uh, cut the number of people working within county government? Without, you know, that wouldn't be my um, purview. That would be the purview of the county executive, whoever that person is. But we need to look at why such a big increase? I want to move into some legislation that the council's been working on in recent weeks um, and is actually scheduled to vote on Tuesday. The so Since July, the county council's been holding meetings about the Sugarloaf Treasured Landscape Management Plan. It's a plan to preserve Sugarloaf Mountain and the land surrounding it, and it's the first area plan that is part of the larger Livable Frederick Master Plan. The county passed in 2019 to guide development and preservation. If you were a member of the council, would you vote to approve the Sugarloaf Plan, and why or why not? You know, this this whole experience is a repeat of a decade ago, and what I mean by that is, in general, the government has made these plans, and then they look to downgrade people's properties so that the rights that the individual property owners had initially suddenly disappear. And so some of that some of that is being remedied, but you can't you can't just lock stock and barrel change the lives of people through a decision in the government such that they can't do what they wanted to do. There's one fellow, he has about 250 acres. He took 10 of those acres and made a plot where his daughter could have a house. They do farming, they do cattle, they do equestrian activities, horses, and that ruling for the livable Frederick, the details of the rules, would eliminate them from having that opportunity. Let's tell you how detailed that plan is. It tells you what kind of lights you can put on your property. You can't put white lights or blue lights. You have to put amber lights. And by the way, those amber lights have to be on a timer so that they shut off after a few minutes so you're not harming the wildlife that's around your property. That's just too much detail. That's too much government overreach. Yeah. So, you know, so would I vote for it? I would vote for a a plan. The Livable Frederick plan in general, the, the 
intention of it is to have is the, just the Sugarloaf plan we're talking about. Right, yeah. right, right. I know the Sugarloaf plan, but I'm talking livable Frederick in general. The one that was adopted in right. 2019. It's, it's a good. It's a good plan. It it puts denser housing near municipalities and keeps rural land rural. It does that. But when we get into these small area plans and start micromanaging how people are to live our, their lives, it's just wrong. It's wrong. So it sounds like you you wouldn't support the the Sugarloaf preservation plan that the council's working through right now? I would not support micromanaging what people do with their property. All right. Uh, sticking with the, the Livable Frederick Master Plan. The county has already begun meeting with community members about the next regional plan that's part mm-hmm. of that larger plan. Mm-hmm. This one's called the South Frederick Corridors Plan. It'll examine an area south of Frederick along Maryland 355 Urbana Pike, Maryland 85 Buckystown Pike, and it's the second most economically significant region of the county to Frederick City. Goals for the plan include reinforcing and creating economic strengths and assets, Supporting existing business and industries and fostering innovation and opportunity. That's from the plan documents. How can the county improve its public process for this plan compared to the process that it had for the Sugarloaf plan? Well, you know, the first is is this idea of pitting us against them. That's what happened in the previous plan. There was this um, kind of artificial, these people are against those people. And that's that's not what government should be about. That's not what our community should be about. We have we have a super diverse community. You know, I I've traveled the world and I've I've been on the ground of twenty three different countries. And I, I've met people from different cultures and different places. And there's this amazing thing that happens when we come together. People people want the same things. People want good jobs. If they're a business owner, they want good margin in their business. Everyone wants good schools for their kids. Everyone wants to be safe. You know, they're common things that humanity wants. And so this idea of pitting us versus them, it just, it just doesn't work. So conversations together where we come to the things that we agree on. And let me add this. You know, we've had some issues with some of our government workers, and, and I'll, I'll be specific. Some of our planning and permitting folks have not really looked for a win-win. I'll give you another example. There's a gentleman that was looking to put um, a church inside of the FSK Mall. From day one, the people in the department knew what he was doing. He went through an entire process of six months got to the end of that process. He had invested six months of his time. He had invested a lot of his money. And at the end of that process, they said, sorry, this isn't zoned for your use. Now, why would that not have happened in the very first conversation? This sort of thing happens over and over again. There there was a farm that wanted to do a particular thing. They invested a half a million dollars of their money, of their hard-earned you know, life savings. And when uh, the week that they expected to open, the county said, oh, sorry, you need to do this too. That was another hundred dollars to $150,000 that they did not have. Those people went out of business. We should never be doing that to people in our community. 
we should always be looking for how do we make a win-win for, for folks, people that want to contribute to our community in a powerful way. That's what we should be doing in government. And whatever I can do to support that, I will. I want to uh, just, I mean, bring it back to some of these regional plans that are part of the Livable Frederick Master Plan, where you talked about the county's pan, uh, plan and, and its public process for working through it, pitting groups of people against each other. Um, in, in what ways did you, do you think that happened as the council worked through the, the Sugarloaf well, Plan? It was, it was obvious if you were at, especially those last meetings, you know, there were people, you know, with the red shirts or the green shirts and, and people saying what they thought their neighbors should do with their property, you know, when some of their properties were not affected. We just, we just don't need to have that. I think if we have uh, conversations up front before we get to the, that ending stage, we can resolve everything before we have these final meetings. And so the, well, the county met for, I guess, a, about, well, there was interruptions with COVID, but for about two years, the right. different, um, there were community meetings and then the planning commission held a series of meetings to be able to work through parts of the plan before forwarding it to the county council. Um, so, the, I mean, there were these early stage meetings, but do you think like those early stages of the process should be any different for the, the South Frederick Quarters you know, plan, the next one? You know, that we, the, yeah. we could we could talk about this all day long. It gets it gets to this point of, in general, just as a kind of gen, general practice, people have not been listened to over the last eight years. Um, you can hear that from the agricultural community that I already mentioned. You can hear that from the development community. You can hear that from the business community, and you can hear that from people in the community. Um, and, and one of those is in my district on the, the west side of Frederick. That kind of process, that kind of not listening should never happen. You talk about uh, people within uh, the district you're running in District 3 now mm -hmm. feeling like they haven't been heard in, in county government. In what ways, as a council member, would you seek to change that? Well, people who know me know that I'm a person who, who listens. And, um, you know, actually, it's, it's what I do in my work as the executive director of the Marriage Resource Center. We have couples coming in all the time who are having challenges with their relationship. And as an example, a little while ago, we had two different couples come in. It was in, in one week. And both of them came because they wanted to figure out how to separate and divorce and make it easier on their kids. You know, it, it's unfortunate that happens, but what happened at the end of, you know, a 90-minute conversation that both of those couples walked out the door holding hands and going on a date. Now, all of that is just because a partner was heard. So there's this powerful thing when people want to express themselves, who they are, and another person hears them, it transforms everything. And so, uh, you know, what would I do to do that? It, it was really fun. This past, this past week, I went to two different um, worship services. One was with a group from the Nigerian community, and one was with a group from the Hispanic community. I would just say my heart was touched powerfully in both of those times together, and it's just being together, spending time together, eating together, getting to know one another. We find out that we're more the same than we are different. 
what I'm hearing is uh, you'd be looking to spend some more time in the in the communities that you represent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll give you an example. So um, it's been a it's been a while back, but um, I used to teach karate in Hillcrest Elementary School through the Police Activity League, and just being with people in the community there, I will tell you in that in those classes, parents were there with their children. They were there every time they were actively involved in their children's lives. And for me to be a part of that was really powerful. In fact, one of one of the students from that class um, was at Hood College. She just she's moving on to pharmacy school and she just got her white coat. You know, it's this kind of thing. Generations helping generations, families being together, improving whatever their circumstances are. And, and it's it's. It, actually, it's like what my father did for us. My father was, you know, um, the son of immigrant parents. And um, he made sure for us that we had the best education possible. Yeah. And so how do you see this um, immersing yourself in, in the communities that you represent translating to improving trust between government the county's government and and the communities that it represents, particularly the in District Three, which if you were elected, you'd be representing. Mm-hmm. It, well, it's the same thing I've been saying. When people are heard, they feel valued. You know, there there's this thing about respecting people, about hearing them, about um, putting yourself in their shoes, so to speak. And and there are many of many of these issues. It's not just it's not just in District Three. It's all over the county. And, and this is why people are actually calling for a change in, in government right now. People need to be heard. And it's, it's not just a one-issue kind of a thing. It's across the board. Yeah. And so, well, one of, one of the issues that we've been hearing about from uh, community members in District 3 is the location for a, a library <laughs> branch on, yeah. on, mm-hmm. on the west side of Frederick. Um, just to give a little bit of context, last year the council approved the $20 million purchase of a 26-acre property along Himes Avenue, which includes a 209,000-square-foot facility currently used for COVID vaccine clinics. The county purchased the property with intentions of accelerating like pro- large projects like building new county offices, relocating the 911 call center, and potentially adding a library to the west side. This is just one option for where this library could go. Um, but sticking with this, the Himes Avenue property for right now, um, which we should note is located in, in District 3 again. By the way, it's been mm-hmm. renamed the Prospect Center. It has. County Executive Jan Garden made that announcement a little bit ago. What do you think the property should be used for? Well, um, you know, I don't know that that would be my decision, but um, with, I'll tell you what's interesting about that property. It, it kind of echoes the same thing that we've been talking about, and that is when it was purchased typically county governments, if they're going to do something inside of a city, they have a conversation with city government officials. And again, that didn't happen. There was just this kind of bold move that for the city was a real hit in that that property brings in a lot of tax revenue, or at least it did before the county purchased it, brought in a lot of tax revenue to the city. That that tax hit is significant. And so the city had to start thinking, well, what are we going to do now? That was the one property inside of the boundaries of the city of Frederick that had potential for infill development. And, and what do I mean by infill development? It means it's a 
it was a property that could have been repurposed for other things to bring in additional tax revenue. So we'll, we'll start with that. That's, that's a kind of a concern with the foundation of the whole purchase. Um, let's add to that people that you, were, you started with talking about the library. People in a portion of the community want the library um, up on the Butterfly uh, Lane area at the West Side Regional Park. Why do they want that? Many of the people in that community do not have vehicles, and so they walk or ride bicycles, and, and frankly, they want the library close to them so that they don't have to walk as far or, you know, don't have to uh, send their kids like that. Now, there are a couple of other locations. People in District 3 wanted it, too. Some wanted it over by, Wa excuse me, by Waverly, which is across Route 40. Route 40 is not really the best road to try to navigate across, as we well know. Um, other people like the Himes location. Are we going to satisfy everybody? Absolutely not. But we could come up with a location that is what we might call equitable. That's a word that's been around and it's kind of in, you know, a high, a word that's really important these days. And what does that mean? That means putting the library in a place that will serve the most people and bring, uh, how, how will I say, the best outcome for the entire community. If someone has a car and they're coming from Ballinger Creek, it doesn't matter to them if they go to Himes Avenue or to the West Side Regional Park. It's the same distance driving. It doesn't matter. But for people who are walking, it does make a difference. So, you know, that would be something to look at. Uh, I want to switch gears away from policy a little bit. Uh, all campaigning, you've been recovering from a, a serious car accident that happened in December. What has that been like? Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I would call it serious. It wasn't like I was physically, you know, broken and all of that. But what did happen is I was rear-ended and um, I ended up with a concussion. Now, interestingly, the concussion was di not diagnosed at my first visit to the ER. And so what I did feel is I felt this really funny, um, when I say odd feeling on the left part of my forehead. And I kept saying, it feels numb, but not really numb, but it's a little below the surface there, and I couldn't identify what it was until I met a friend who had gone through the exact same thing. So what has it been like? Um, I'm a person that's always been super healthy, and I would never get a headache. I might get a headache once a year, and I might take an aspirin maybe, you know. But when that happened, I had a constant headache for about six or seven weeks. The other thing that happened is that, um, you know, I, I'm a karate champion and I have super good balance. I, if I put my feet together after that accident, if I put my feet together and just stood there, I would feel myself falling to the left. Or if I looked down at the ground, it felt like I went on a roller coaster ride. It was really crazy. Man. So um, what did I do? I had eight weeks of twice a week physical therapy. And what that did is it helped to reconnect my eyesight to my body. What did, what did that mean? It, it means it um, helped with my balance, my proprioception, which is that 
knowledge of where the end of your body is and the next thing connects. So the other thing that concussion did was I'd be walking down the hallway and, you know, you normally avoid things. I uh, would like bang my head into, or my, not my head, my hand into the table and thought, that's crazy. Cause again, in karate, I'll just say I was a number one fighter and I'm really good at knowing where my body begins and ends. And I could go through crowds really quickly and not touch anybody and um, yeah, so I had to recover from that. And then the other thing is, is that, you know, every now and then you miss a word. Well, that was happening. And, you know, I have a pretty high IQ and I've always been really good in school and that kind of thing. I'm in the doctoral program at Hood College right now in organizational leadership. And so did you know that speech therapy helps with um, reactivating the parts of your brain that have been hurt? I didn't know that, and I learned that. So the other thing that this experience did is it um, caused me to think about a lot of the kids in school. You know, whenever random accidents happen, like you slip down the stairs or you, um, you know, fall down or maybe it's a, you know, a sports injury, some of those things might be being an injury to the brain and you don't even know it right? When the accident happened, it didn't seem that bad. But the, in, the the concussion was. And so how has it been? Um, the two things that make the difference are rest and plenty of water. If I don't get enough rest, then I might get that headache again. If I don't drink enough water, you know, same thing. Rest and water are really important. And good nutrition, but you know these are things that these are things that we all should be doing. Um, how has it affected the campaign? It affected the campaign because you know when I used to campaign, I'd go twelve or sixteen hours and get less sleep. You know, I might get five hours of sleep, and I can't do that today. I have to make sure I get my rest. Yeah. And are you fully recovered now, or, or have doctors given you a timeline for full recovery? Yeah, so for the for the most part, yes, I'm fully recovered, you know, but again, if I don't get enough sleep, the headaches will come back and, and that sort of thing. And so headaches are not fun. <laughs> <laughs> I know so, it. So um, he, the, the neurologist thinks that that'll happen, you know, by December, you know, and, and that's my prayer. I don't like headaches. <laughs> I don't think anyone does. <laughs> Is there anything else that you'd look to accomplish with a four-year term on the council that I haven't asked you about? Oh, my goodness. We could, you know, we could talk about this all day long. Um, we could talk about schools. We can talk about businesses. We can talk about, you know, raising uh, the quality of life for every single person. And that's that's one of the things, you know, um, on in our district, there's a wide variety of people from every socioeconomic um, status, from folks who are super wealthy in District 3 to folks who are not and, you know, living several families in, in one home. And so what do we want to do? We want to make sure that every single person, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, has a quality of life such that next year and the year after that and the year after that, their life improves. 
And and I think for me, that's one of the things that um, has prompted me to be a part of this. I can't say that our life has been improving. I'll, I'll give you an example. So this last budget, we raised the budget by 10%. That's uh, 10 cents more for every dollar that people spent last year. And then add to that inflation. Inflation is headed toward 10, 10%. You know, they predict it might even be more. Um, so that means for every dollar that people spent last year, they're going to be paying a dollar twenty more. And whenever folks are trying to buy gasoline and groceries and provide for their family, we need to make sure that everybody can do that. Not just those that are the most wealthy, but those that need additional help. Because when we raise every family, when we improve the lifetime of even what I what I would say is the least of these, then we improve the entire life of our community. Um, the work that I do at the Marriage Resource Center, our, our mission statement is building strong marriages, strong families, and strong communities. And that would be what I'd hope to bring to the county council is that idea. And so I appreciate you having me here today, Jack. Just a yeah. and quick follow-up because you, you mentioned um, being able to lower costs for families as a way of improving um, quality of life and, and then in the context of the county's budget. Would, would this, does that bring you back to the policy proposal of lowering the property tax rate or is well, there anything beyond here, that? Here's the yeah. thing is people need a break. People just need a break. We've been through a lot over the last several years with the pandemic, with businesses being closed with uh, people being out of work, you know, and we hear that business owners are now having trouble getting people back to work even still. And so people need a break. Let's give them a break. And, and if that means constant yield instead of constant rate, yes, I, I would say it does. And I'm all for that. All right. Well, Shirley, thank you so much for, for joining me in, in the booth and, and coming into the newsroom today. You know, it's it's always fun to be here. It's been a long time since I was here before, but I'll just say thanks, Jack. It's been fun. Thank you.